TIM Podcasts. The contents and views expressed by individuals in this podcast are not necessarily those of the companies for which they work. Due to the coronavirus lockdown, the CIM podcast is currently being recorded via web conferencing. We apologise for any issues with the audio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of the CIM Study Buddy podcast series. I'm here today with Michael O'Flynn from Professional Academy, who's returning after episode one. And I'm with Simon Tyler, who is an expert on motivation and a multi-published author. Simon, Michael, how are you today? I'm good, thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me back. Uh, And I'm delighted to be on, Ben. You know, people have been thrown into a a new world. Of course, lots of people worked and studied from home permanently before. It ran into the millions, but they were still in a, a very small minority compared to the entire workforce. So a lot of people have come into this situation and have had the parameters of their lives changed and are wondering how they motivate themselves without that physical uh, space and presence of their colleagues and their tutors and so on and so forth and classmates. There is a little bit of learning to be done, Simon, isn't there, if you're not used to this setup? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You talk about motivation and what I notice and perhaps share with clients through my written work and some of the dialogues is first step, just simply notice what's happening to your motivation. That's often, that can be all you need to do. Notice that your motivation has waned. Notice that it peaks because if you tune into it rather than trying to force it to be totally motivated all day long or totally motivated in the mornings because I'm a morning person, just no, just leave it be doing what it's doing and notice where it's going up and down because it will be different now in your uh, isolated environment compared to maybe some of the stimuli that you would otherwise have picked up in other spaces. Are you, Michael, have you obviously moved from a, a, a classroom, mainly classroom-based system, presumably, to something very different? Yes, and, and it has been a huge learning curve. And, and also, not just a case of, of looking at productivity and motivating people in terms of what they're doing for their independent learning, but putting them in a workshop environment and taking a cut-and-paste face-to-face workshop environment and going, this is exactly how we're going to do that with a a virtual workshop environment it just didn't work and it doesn't work and anyone trying to do that we've all been on an awful webinar which has gone on for 45 minutes to five hours and just have been talked at it's about breaking it down looking at how you break down a task you break down the conversation you you steer the conversation differently and all that changes in a in not just a isolated environment when you're at home but the isolated environment in a workshop you've got maybe 15 16 people learning together and none of them are in the room together some of them their webcams are better or they their internet's better or they they're more comfortable in this environment maybe there's a technology gap to overcome but that was a a big part for motivating people to still do what they're doing and not put things on hold is to improve what that looks like and adapt to the new environment that they were learning in which became virtual but still very much interactive did you make any mistakes yourself when you were thrown into this new uh, situation in terms of doing that to make it make it interactive make it as pleasurable and as natural experience as possible for my side it was very much expecting as much interaction back so whenever I've run a workshop session, whether I'm, I'm doing consultancy or I'm doing a, a group session, I'm always expecting people to give me examples or throw questions my way. And people were not as forthcoming. 
uh, people of there was no hands up system at the time there was none of these these tools in place to get people to feel comfortable answering a question that i was i was therefore just flying through and talking at a rate and i was doing all of these things which meant that, that i knew the learning wasn't going in as well as it could so we sat down with all of our trainers and we looked at how we were doing this and and we, that's where we looked at breaking down the sessions but it was a case of i think we all know when we're in a workshop session or a training session or a consultancy session you get what you get back is almost as important as what you give yeah. and when i wasn't getting anything back i found myself almost reverting to uh, not panic mode but certainly a case of okay i'm just gonna give you all the information you obviously you've, you've got nothing to contribute so i'll give you as much as possible and i'll almost overload you uh, and and that was a mistake for my part but it was a, a very quick learning curve and i'm very much past that now and and i've talked to a room of, of 40 plus people and uh, expecting interactivity in that environment not a good thing and uh, doesn't work well and um, so so there was a learning curve there Michael you mentioned that in terms of it's the feedback loop I'm observing that with my clients and some of the, the smaller clusters and bigger clusters that I'm working with and as a deliverer or as the host presenter of now a webinar you're not getting the feedback we human beings we thrive on feedback both obvious and the more subtle more subtle often is the non-verbal cues. And we don't get that. It's still there. There's still some of that happening in webinar land, but the, the facilitator who probably thrives on and shifts direction, changes emphasis, ups or downs in various points to help the learners. And then you're, you're not getting the, the strong eye contact because there's different people's webcams work. You might be looking down at the floor or over the heads of the process. You're not getting eye contact. People are less likely to more obviously nod or laugh. Laughter doesn't happen as much on webinar because some people need other ones to laugh first in order for laughter to ripple out. That's how laughter works. So it's interesting. It's a slightly colder, more sterile communication environment. We, the host, don't get the feedback. So we're having to learn to self-feedback on the smaller stuff, start to notice the smaller stuff. And I think that goes in hand with the whole world. Learners, workers are learning how to webinar. It's, yes, we've had webinar systems around for a while, but we've used them as an alternative to a face-to-face -face meeting. Whereas now, it's the mainstream. We're all webinaring. And, you know, I look, you know, I've got my young, youngest kid and my grandmother um, my you know older relatives using they don't know what to do you know they stare at the camera so we're all learning a new set of how to be a human almost yeah so in webinar land and, and I'm, I'm i'm writing about this on a little simple note right now which is about learning how to nod perhaps more more profusely because <laughs> the speaker needs that and w without being false or or inauthentic it's about, yeah, I'm giving you information. I'm going to give you on screen a thumbs up or a visual round of, you know, showing the round of applause. Or I'm going to click the buttons or the chat box or whatever that all of these systems and apps have got. So I'm going to up the nature of how I'm trying to give feedback because we need to learn this. It's interesting. I, I read a, on that point, I read an interesting article in The Times on Matthew Paris um, a couple of weeks ago. And he was saying that, you know, one of the video conferences has its uses, but one of the uh, big flaws in it is that people simply don't 
know when to interject, uh, which is a, such a fundamental part of natural human conversation. It was a good point you made, but I didn't wholly agree with it because I think your um, analysis is better, Simon. And actually what it is, is there are ways to do it, but it's not the same ways as we would do it if we were in person and we haven't learned those skills. Yeah. It's not a replacement, it's something different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that applies to a lot of things that we're finding when we're trying to study um, in, in this new new environment. There's another point on to sort of add to what Michael was saying a few moments ago, and it's about the way each of us learn is different. We all have a learning style and, and we all know this and the, the nature and there will be systematic help in the webinar tools for this breakout rooms, for example. But some people love to observe. They learn by watching others. That's somewhat restricted. So we need to, we're on this journey together. We need to discover how can the observer group still get out of this? You've got the people, the reflectors, who do want to sit quietly and just, just let it all go past a little bit. And it, for a while, it looks like they're not active, but no, they might be in the reflector group. Then you've got the trialers that want to have a go at something. So they might be ideal to put into the little, the mini breakout rooms that you can set up on Zoom, for example. It, it's interesting. It's actually, it's a great platform for the, it's a great platform and a negative platform for the extroverts. Because um, myself, I, I identify as an extrovert. When I was in a university, in lectures, I didn't exist. In a workshop, I was the focal point for attention. The virtual workshop, because there's not a lot of other people contributing, extroverts come to the front and instead of dragging other people with them, they stay there and they can got, they're pretty much dominating the room. And the, the introverts, they say the reflective people and those who are observing, they fall further and further back because the platform is, is louder, it's, it's larger. They have, they've taken over the screen if you've got presenter view on and the speaker view on, and, and they have become the focal point. And, and it's up to the trainers to guide it around and say, that's fantastic, Michael, excellent point. Please be quiet. We need somebody else to talk here. Uh, and kind of steering it around the room. You still you don't want to discourage the extrovert who may have extra uh, interesting points to bring up and maybe knowledgeable and they want to share their knowledge with the room. But it's also it's more of a challenge to to spread that out and ask people what do you think about the conversations had at least initially. But you're right. We're learning. We're we're adapting. And and I think it's an incredibly positive thing. So video conferencing and webinars and uh, digital meetings, if you like, they're a big part of uh, studying at home. They're not the only part. But do you think we started off by doing too many of them? Uh, yes, in simple terms, because of the human need for connection, which is sort of what we picked up already. <laughs> and I, I read something recently that said, if this COVID extent had happened at any time prior to the last year 18 months goodness no how would we have reacted take it five years ago 10 years ago where the nature of bandwidth at home could not have withstood even if the technology and the apps had existed yeah. we'd have all been on conference calls probably all day long and ringing each other up our ears would have been burning absolutely so it's it's <laughs> It, it, almost like nature abhors a vacuum, as the, the physical law says, and into the vacuous space has come webinars. It's perfect. So it's bound to over, over, 
over secrete in some respects. And here we are, we're on them all the time. And groups and clubs and societies and friendship circles are instantly, they want to stay connected. How do we do it? It's Zoom. In the absence of anything else, it's, it's route one where no other roads exist. No other roads exist, but do we have to be on that road, you know, eight times a day or four times a day? I spoke to a colleague um, uh, last week and she was saying that she, she worked out that she'd spent 18 hours on Zoom the earlier week and decided she had to do something about it. Michael, there's probably a little bit of overkill going on, or at least there was in the early days, wasn't there? It's, there certainly was. And, and I think there is still an element there. The longer we go into to lockdown, that there is an element of some people feeling that desperate need to connect with their colleagues, with their workplaces. And, and there was a, a report uh, last week about furloughed employees being forced to come in on a weekly uh, call with their managers. And they were questioning whether or not that actually went against the furlough rule and, and how that and the potential problems that would cause. But the managers were to come in, it's a fairly good place. They want to check in and make sure everybody's fine. Yeah. But when it becomes forced, when it becomes those elements that you are saying you have to do this, this is what we're doing. We're doing a we're doing a, a 12 o'clock catch up every day to make sure the team's fine because that's what we do in the office. It's not what you're doing in the office. You'd be around each other and you'd yeah. be aware and you'd, you'd pop in and you'd drop out of conversations and, and you'd interact. But it's it's right. And especially when it's overload, where not only is it our working day, where our colleagues are constantly trying to keep in touch with us because they want to keep their morale up or they need to talk or there's so many issues that would usually be dealt with together but you're right we've got our friends we've got our, our family we've got people who want to contact I usually have a weekly call with my mum and now I have zoom family fun times on Friday nights which couldn't sound more forced if you tried and uh, <laughs> friends that I would see twice a year and we'd go have a, a pub session and now saying oh every Saturday we're going to catch up and talk about a movie you know and you know, we're good friends, but probably a little bit too much. I'm on my computer constantly now. I'm getting the computer fatigue. Yeah. So so is there any way to dial it down? And I think that's another thing when it comes to learning is as much as everything is available on the computer, do not be afraid to do what you did before and pick up a book and sit on a sofa and just disconnect for a couple of hours or put in a podcast and do a jog for 45 minutes listening to, to something about marketing or, or whatever skill you're learning at that time, do not feel because you're at home, you need to constantly be connected to your screen because I hate to think what this is doing to the nation's eyesight. Well, there's a computer fatigue, yeah. there's a big one, but Simon, there's also a feeling that some people, particularly this colleague I spoke to last week, felt that actually she's wasting a lot of time on some of these and they needn't have happened in the first place. And presumably from a motivational standpoint, there's nothing more demotivating than wasting time, is there? No, when you notice it, as she now has, and maybe the conversation with you helped her get to that point of articulation. But just like in the, the, the time before in office world, um, not the shop office world, but it, it, when we're all working in offices, there was, the question could still be raised, which is, are there too, too many meetings? Yeah, there's famous stories about Steve Jobs throwing people out of meetings, saying, I, I, "If you're not going to contribute, don't be here." And I remember many, many years ago, somebody wrote about the perfect meeting only has three people in it, where one of them is absent. <laughs> the other two don't feel half responsible, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, "Oh, I get that. I really like that." Um, yeah. So, so the challenge that we would level in a normal, the old work environment is the same for this. 
is this Zoom meeting valuable? Do I need to be in it? Because there's a degree of, I want connection. I'll be in and I'll miss out. Fear of missing out, which pickles motivation. That's kicking in in a different way for us all now. So just like learning to use the tools, we need to check in. The conversation you had with your colleague who discovered or reflected on her 18 hours, we need to have that maybe in a weekly review meeting with ourselves while we're jogging and think, how's it going? Where's my time been? Because in a workspace, in the former work environment, we had got used to everyday distractions that are happening all the time. A distraction comes in, somebody walks by your desk, uh, your phone will ping with an instant message, an email will come in, a news alert will pop across your screen, all these little distractions. And it's been uh, researched and suggested that we have distractions in the old office space every three minutes one every three minutes and our productivity therefore falls and it needs to climb back up after every three minute distraction. So here we are now in potentially this blissful, calm, self-maintained, self-controlled environment, but we're still possibly addicted to distractions and therefore we'll go for them. So I'll find, I'll join that meeting, I'll follow that news meme, I'll, I'll pour into Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter for a bit longer than I might otherwise have done. Pause. Managing that if you can, through this period of time, notice your addiction to distractions and slowly wean yourself off, you're going to create significantly more real, pure, productive time for yourselves. And that productive space, and I heard Michael talk about it in a different way, but it's the space that is now being opened up for us to think, to question ourselves, to reflect, to walk away and come back. That wouldn't happen in a work in the old workspace. That is fascinating, isn't it, Michael? That actually we've got to be careful of not trying to recreate uh, the flaws of the office at home, which it sounds to me like something that some of us have done but also to look at the real benefits of uh, being at home. And there are many of them, aren't there, to being at home and studying uh, in our own space, in the peace, in the quiet, um, and being able to you know, uh, change our environment as we want it for a walk in the garden or whatever else it may be. It's actually, it's, it's, it's really interesting because thinking back to, and I like the expression, the old ways, the before times, um, <laughs> We used to go work from home when we really needed to focus on something. It's one of the things when you get up to that managerial position, you get to make that decision. I've got something really complex to do. I've got something that really needs my dedication and time. I need to be away from the distractions. I'm going to do it at home. Now we've got all of the options of being at home. We've got, well, I say options. We've got no choice but to be at home. We're not using it as that productivity boost that it would have been back in the before times. So we're not turning around and saying, I really need to, to get my head down with my CIM assignment or this strategic proposal. Or uh, for me, it's always uh, financial forecasting, budgets and forecasting. I need to get away from the office and the phones ringing and everything to, to sit down and play with the numbers. Um, and that's the whole element that I would usually put myself at home, put myself in an office environment at home and take myself away from the distractions. And it's interesting hearing about it. I'm away from the distractions, yet you're right, there is an addiction. There's a, where's my... Where's my break? Where's my pop-up? Where's there's something telling me? Where's my phone ringing? 
why why have we been brought back to that when you, we could be using this to be productive and more motivated so so how do we kill that addiction then chap it seems to me that the first step has got to be to break our addiction to distractions how yes I, I see it rather like any scientific experiment starts, a successful one, starts with a hypothesis. And the hypothesis tends to dictate where the focus is and what they notice. So the hypothesis, hypothesis change, I think, that you just intimated is this is a more productive space for me. That's the hypothesis. I'm going to work on that as opposed to I'm just rolling into the everyday experiment and see what shows up. No, this is more productive. So as a result, I'm going to notice my distractions. And to take Michael's point about we used to go to work from home to create a space and rather emulating a, a mainstream comedian, perhaps we need to go home home instead of out out. <laughs> yes. So when, if we're working at home and we need to concentrate on something, we need to go home home. So maybe there's another space at home that's our home home or a way in which we notice that I thrive, I'm at my best when I have the ability to have silent time, the ability to connect with people or whatever it is, and look at the mixture and the ingredients of my week and design your week. If you roll into every day, already pre-booked five webinars, well, what, where, it's full of distractions already. It's becoming clear from today's discussion that we have to take clear steps uh, to make it happen. But yep. humans are adaptable, aren't they? they? They learn. So let us assume that we learn how to do this and we, we suddenly realise that we're maximising the benefits um, of, of home study um, and we're minimising uh, the flaws of home study. Are we ever going to go back to the before times, do you think? No. I feel quite strongly about that. There will be, uh, I think, some people who crave for, miss, feel bereft right now, and I would call them returners. They want to return to the way it was. So they will be quite a strong force to make it as it was. But I think they're increasing uh, enlightened souls among us all. And we're thinking, I I'm noticing what's going on. Maybe some of the stuff we've talked about today already, which is how I'm learning how to become webinar proficient. I'm learning how to connect. I'm learning to get my energy from different ways. In which case, these are the, the reinventors. And I think there's going to be an increasing and bigger group of reinventors. And that's going to cause possibly some friction in organizations, in learning organizations too between the returners and the reinventors, and probably a big chunk of people in the middle who are just a little bit lost right now, don't know what I want. Do I want it back or do I not want it back? Are you a reinventor or a returner, Michael? Oh, I always put myself in, in the reinventor camp. I, I, I thrive on change and challenges. It's interesting when you talk about returners and reinventors. Um, because the middle crowd's going to be quite interesting because the reinventors are the ones who are, they've adopted the learning straight away. They haven't put a stop to their CPD. They haven't put a stop to their changes or their working environment. The returners are waiting. They're waiting for what happens 
happens next? Can I can I go back to face-to-face workshops or face-to-face offices in September? Is it going to be December? Is it going to be 2026? When is it going to be? They don't really know at this stage, but that's they know they're not going to do anything till they hit that spot. The people in the middle are going to, even when it returns, are probably more likely to have that fear factor of, I understand I can travel to a workshop, I can go to a lecture, I can go to a conference, but do I want to? Am I, am I scared that I may pick something up or am I a little bit more cautious about where I am? Am I going to have to order a snooze or a face mask to go outside? And then the other side of it is, are there some people who are then going to swing the other way because of that element and go, you know what, maybe I will try to become a reinventor. Maybe I'll try and adopt the new technology and they will have their varying degrees of success based on their confidence with the tools, confidence of, of change, adapting to change. Uh, and it's going to be quite interesting because I think that middle chunk, the lost chunk, is far larger than either of the other two. We've spoken about this before, negative experiences on webinars. We've all been to an awful webinar. Yeah. I'm not going to do it again. And maybe they have actually not adapted well to working from home so their negative working environment that they've created because they haven't been able to go home home they're distracted they're surrounded by maybe they've got kids so the whole family's home and the bandwidth's bad all of those issues are going to contribute to them leaning towards their returner because all they want to do is to get their space and almost their independence back by returning to the old way so simon pressure creates diamonds we have to do it we get used to doing it we learn to do it better we start to like it yeah and on the journey we might resist those stages but the inevitability of that pressure means it's still going to stay there it's interesting as i hear what michael's saying there that the human skill which you mentioned as well which we have deep within us is our ability to adapt but maybe that as a human skill has risen right to the surface right now for all of us. It's how good are we at adapting? What gets in the way of our ability to adapt? It possibly is our mental frame of what we wanted it to be, the past, what we're frightened of it becoming, the future, but it's just our ability to adapt. That's, I think that's probably, if there was one thing, that's the one skill that we all need to go on adaptation 101 classes starting immediately. Simon Tyler, Michael O'Flynn, thank you very much indeed. CIM Podcast.